The Healing the City podcast is a ministry of the Village Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you enjoy the Healing the City podcast and wish to support it financially, you can go to villagersonline.com, click the We Give tab, and follow the instructions. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Healing the City, Sue and Eric Talk About Life podcast. It's been a while since you and I have done a podcast together. Yeah, it has. But here we are in the podcast room because I was hoping to talk about the village and our hopes and dreams and where we've come so far. And I thought what we could do is start by talking a little bit about how it all sort of began for you and me mm-hmm. um, and how, yeah, just how it started. Right. Back in 1996, or maybe even before, hmm. it started uh, 1991, I believe. Okay. Do you remember 1991? I do. I was graduating from high school. Yes. And I had a year of college under my belt. Mm-hmm. And, I, and you asked me out for my 18th birthday. That's true. Even though, uh, oh, that's not even the beginning of the story, is it? Mm, that's fine. You can start there. Okay. So we'd been hanging out uh, over the summer after I graduated. That's true. Thanks to your mom. Thanks to my mother. Who said, Sue's lonely. You should have her over for lunch. <laughs> and you did. <laughs> I did. I did what my mom told me to do. And then we f- just became fast friends. We, had, we knew each other before that, but we really started spending a lot of time together chatting about everything under the sun. And I was dating somebody who was in the military, so he was gone. And on my 18th birthday, you asked me out. And up to that point, we thought, this is such a great platonic relationship. We can be great friends and not be romantically inclined. But we were wrong. Yeah, you were pretty uh, giddy on that 18th birthday date. Yes. And afterwards, we were driving around. Sorry, I'm making noises on the table. Yeah. We drove around town and had the oh no moment. Yeah. Where we realized that there was something bigger going on. Yes. And that bigger did eventually get us to be married. But in the middle of all of that, we were also going to the same church. Mm -hmm. I think I Mm -hmm. had just started coming back to E-Free up on Swan and almost to sunrise. Yeah, and I was still there. Yeah, you were still there. high school. And there really wasn't a college ministry. Mm -hmm. It was me and you, a guy named Mike Schurig. And another guy who showed up named Sean Wegley. It's just four of us, really. Mm -hmm. And we started praying. The U of A. Really, it was just me and Sean for a while. And then Mike would show up. And then you started showing up. Then all of a sudden, our college ministry had like 30 people in it. Yeah. It grew really fast. It did. And it got pretty big. And we would have these like acapella sing times and and then we would read scripture and stuff and 
go to different people's homes. And yeah, it was pretty sweet. It was a sweet time. A lot of prayer. But that was kind of the beginnings of everything. That didn't work out well. There were some problems with that group. We were 20. <laughs> had, some, had some leadership structure issues and, and some crisis that didn't bode well for a group. But uh, then you you went to up to Trinity and there was some romance stuff. And eventually we got married in 1996. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. You didn't think, you didn't know we got married in I was trying to sort out the dates. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And uh, we, we got married by a guy named Mark Bryans. And he kind of opened a lot of doors for us in thinking about what God might be calling us to. Yeah, so at this point we were at, I suddenly blanked the name. El Camino Baptist Thank Church. You. Yeah. Yeah. Because of him. Because of him. In fact, my mom again. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who I needed to ask to marry us to perform a wedding. And she said this guy who's just showed up at El Camino and she really liked him and I should actually have him disciple me, and maybe he'd do the wedding. So I called him up and said, hey, I'm moving down to Tucson, and uh, I need someone to to perform a wedding, and my mom knows you, and she said, you'd be a great guy, and then I, can I meet? And we met, and I said, hey, my mom says you're a good guy. I'd like you to disciple me. And I remember I walked around the church with him, and I said, hey, I'll just do whatever you need me to do. You need me to do Yard work at your house. You need me to watch your kids. You need me to speak when you're gone. I can do all those things. Um, I don't know why I said speak because I never had done that before. Mm-hmm. In really in any kind of setting, except maybe once or twice. Um, but yeah, I just kind of said, if you'll pour into me, I'll serve you. And he seemed pretty excited about that. So. Yeah, he performed our wedding. He did our pre-marriage counseling. He did our pre-marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. We, and a lot of the things that he did in our pre-marriage, I use in pre-marriage counseling with people. Um, yeah, he was the one who told us to go on dates every week for the rest of our lives. Yes. Yeah. Which I was trying to figure that out at 20 years or 25 years. 25 years, right? 25 years mm-hmm. in 1996. Yep. <laughs> And almost, except for really the pandemic, and we tried to work our way around that, and we're kind of working our way back into dating, but we've pretty much gone on a date every single week unless we were both sick or one of us was sick Yeah, for 25 years. That's kind of crazy. That's a lot of dates. It is. It is, and it's a big part of who our, our marriage. But the other thing that he did, and he and Jennifer, his wife, they opened their home to us. Yeah. And they opened, they took us on retreats. Right. They introduced us to different ways of thinking about ministry and worship and disciplines and caring for people who didn't know Jesus and really thinking about people who didn't know Jesus. Yeah. Which wasn't necessarily something we didn't do, or at least I hadn't historically had as part of my growing up in my family. And in the communities I lived in, but it wasn't like 
the center of what I was thinking about. Mm -hmm. And I think he really opened, uh, I think what he opened my eyes to, and you can probably add to this, is that he opened my eyes to the idea that um, there were people who really didn't know anything about Jesus. Right. Like I kind of had an assumption that most people knew stuff about Jesus and they just rejected him or they accepted him. And so mm -hmm. part of evangelism was just reconvincing them that they needed to embrace something they had already knew about or knew the basics of. Mm -hmm. And he was beginning to put his finger on the fact that, no, we live in this culture that is post-Christian. Yeah. Yeah. And we started meeting people who didn't even know what the name of Jesus. Yes. They didn't know who Jesus, this Jesus was that people were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And that was really at the core what sort of began your and my journey to plant the village. Yeah. Was beginning to ha have friendships with people who were completely lost in the sense of knowing, well, in their lives, mm -hmm. right? We started hanging out at a now defunct extension of Coffee Exchange in the Crossroads yeah. Festival area. I think there's an Asian restaurant where it used to be. And we used to go there like, what, every day? And we were there all the time. I mean. We had, at that point, we had just moved into the Seneca house. Yes. So it was 98. Mm-hmm. And we had moved in with two other couples. Yes. And. Keith and Julie, which everybody know, knows. And then Brian and Sarah, which most people don't know. Yeah. And Keith and Julie had Jesse. He was three at that point. And so. I think some of it was, and and I think I just, I started working, interpreting around yes. that time. So it was kind of our way of uh, centering ourselves in the chaos of like, whoa, this is a big transition. And we would just get away and go sit in the coffee shop. But there were a bunch of people there who didn't know Jesus. And they were consistent. There was a consistent group of Baristas, People close to our age. Yes, but a little younger than us. Uh -huh. So maybe five years younger than us. It yeah. Was a big group of them. And the baristas there at the time would hang out a lot at the coffee shop. Yeah. So you got to know them. And for a long time, I don't think we ever paid for coffee. Yeah, they gave us a lot of coffee. For free. And we gave them big tips. And we gave them big tips. <laughs> it was probably why an that, illicit arrangement. <laughs> probably why those, the, that coffee shop went. <laughs> belly up at least that part of it uh but the what we were learning is just how broken people were and what they were wrestling with and i think that yeah. was the eye-opening thing for us is it's not that we hadn't in our life experienced the world and its brokenness but i think we, it was the first real exposure for you and me to like whoa like this is a the brokenness is an epidemic and we like the community that we're in mm -hmm. and the church that we're in is not prepared for this. And these people wouldn't even understand what was happening or, or even walk through the doors. Right. There would be nothing familiar to them and no way for them to just kind of ease into this and, mm -hmm. and be okay. Mm -hmm. And just even from a, like a psychological perspective, I think we were like, Whoa, like, most people don't, including us, would even know where to start in helping these people step out of the brokenness that they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. But for some of them, we kind of became parents for a little short time. Yeah. You know, if they saw us outside of the coffee shop, they'd want to go to lunch with us or they. 
And, you know, when it's a 19-year-old and a 25-year-old, and then you're ancient yes. compared to them. <laughs> you're so ancient, yeah. And they just kind of would bare their souls. So there's about six or seven of them at that coffee shop that we mm. really got to know pretty well. And we ended up, you know, having coffee with outside of the of being at the place. And I think we got invited to their home once and or twice, different people's homes, and, mm-hmm. and kind of started hearing their the the deeper stories. And it was it was pretty painful. Yeah, we and prayed a lot for them a lot for years. Yes, still sometimes. And during this time, I think it was 1999. Um. I can't remember exactly when The Matrix came out, but we were in this space mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. And so The Matrix, like how many times I, in the theater, I don't know how many times we saw it in the theater. Yeah, so many times. But it resonated so deeply with us. Like I think that either the first or the second time I can remember you just crying during that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've forgotten about those things. But uh, like I think the the sense of like Neo in the matrix being so um, lost. Yeah. And this idea that, that there are people who are going into these lost spaces and rescuing people, but that what they're rescuing them to real life is not as, as uh, meaningful or it doesn't offer the fulfillment in a sense that, them. Of what you're removing them from, yeah. If they're willing, yes. It real to be rescued. Reality yeah. is, you know, the 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 scene of like the gruel, the eating is just like this weird mush stuff. Like in reality, it's not the steak and everything that you when you're in the matrix and you're plugged into the computer and it's just feeding you what you want. Or, yeah, the illusion is yeah easier to swallow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that that whole process and then the in that movie um, and Neo's process of of being saved, so to speak, mm-hmm. and uh, making a choice to walk into reality was a big deal. And then us. the way I think the movie also portrays how he, uh, I mean, there's some complications in this in the metaphor because he becomes kind of the Christ figure, but he. And you see it with the others as well in different points uh, where he um, starts to experience the power of what life really is and um, the power of the community around him and the capacity to do things that you can't do in the normal world. And I feel like that also resonated with us, that you're not just saving people out of an illusion into something that's really hard. Right. But we have this uh, opportunity to step into the kingdom of God and watch it flourish. Yeah. And experience something deeply satisfying yeah. and true. Yes. And have an impact. And have a mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so... Through a whole other series of things, their little journey through Seattle and all of that, in 2001, we ended up planning the village along with Rod and, and a few other people. And I think you and I, like our longing, at least I think, is, was so much to try to create space 
for people to step into who'd never been at church. And so what that ended up translating to in a physical mm-hmm. space is into this, what you would hear if you look at, listen to our documentary episodes is, is an angsty, darker, like curtains, music that's more melancholy and, and built in, in a lamenting mm-hmm. kind of thing. And sounds, you know, even like mom would call, we used to call it like what you might hear when you walk into a bar. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that was really important to us because we were trying to figure out how do we create space for conversation with people and environmentally give them a space that feels enough not like a church, mm-hmm. even though many, but but kind of gives them a place like, oh, it, I could fit here and sit and talk to people. It feels comfortable to me. That was kind of what we had in our, our brain as we started yeah. all of that process. And I think at, at the beginning, we thought that doing it in our house would be most effective. Yes. That people wouldn't go to the church building, but they'd probably come to our house. Right. But then it turned out that people wouldn't come to our house No, we kept either. trying to get people to come to our house, and it would just... And I think it's, that's partly a Tucson thing. It's not necessarily a thing in... in, in and back then, right. Uh, right. definitely yeah. 25 years ago, it was really that way. So we did, we actually bought our house as part of this long process right. of church planting. And we did meet in the house initially with a lot of people. But, um, but the people that we were spending time with in the coffee shop never came. And eventually there was kind of a, a more of a sense of the third space which the coffee shop turned out to, to have been the whole time right but um i feel like sometimes the village has functioned many times as the third space as the third space yes we in as much as like since we've had the building yes our own building yeah no i think and we've we've tried to be that as a third space for people um to to be able to be in community and relationship together I think like our, at least for me, the longing to to see people experience Jesus in a deep way um, and to know him um, in a way that, that allows for intimacy and relationship um, that's not formal, like that, that's not built into like structures uh, mm-hmm. was part of what we began with. And a longing to to have Jesus speak to deeper wounds in people's lives without like formulaic ways of fixing them. Mm. I think that's really a big part of what we were. We wanted to see the kingdom of God spring up in people's lives, and mm. I, and and I think that that was a big deal. I, I think often about like you know the picture of the men dropping. Uh, the paralytic man through the ceiling is the picture of the village Mm -hmm. that all those scenes is the village that we, we are people who carry one another to Jesus and that we Mm -hmm. understand that healing happens in our sin, that the forgiveness is the place where, where the power of, of healing happens is in in the cross. But there's also a freedom of walking Mm -hmm. that can happen too. And I I think those are sort of, that is the picture of the village for me um, in what we do. And, you know, 
I don't know. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, but that's kind of the picture I've I've had of the village. That's beautiful. Um, and I think about we've had a lot of a lot of rough goes. I mean, in the sense of we've been around for twenty years now, the village. Yeah. Um, re- I, I think we've almost written a hundred songs. <laughs> we've, you know, you can find us all over the internet. Um, it's funny if you search my name, how many times it come up, <laughs> comes <laughs> up. <laughs> You're a content generator. Yeah, yeah I'm a content generator. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know, like, when you think about the village for the next 25 years, mm-hmm. like, what, what is your hope? What do you long to see happen in our community? Hmm. Well, I really love that idea of people picking each other up and just getting to Jesus' feet together. So, you know, sometimes I'm the one who's being picked up and carried to Jesus, and sometimes somebody else is, you know, sometimes I'm the one carrying somebody else. But that idea that ultimately everything we are doing is about uh, what is Jesus saying about that? What does Jesus want to do about that? Surely Jesus will know what to do, right. you know, and like, let's go to Jesus. And if we can't seem to get there, then we'll, you know, uh, throw each other in a wheelbarrow and roll, to, roll over to Jesus. But that, um, I, I see that continuing to be the case, and I sure hope it is, because I... I think, who else would we go to? You have the words of life. Yeah. And I think also that I've seen as we've created structures and practiced life together, that there's been certain maturities built that we've grown in maturity. Yeah. Not just us, but our, our whole community. And that sometimes there's a heaviness about that. And I hope that we will learn to walk in the lightness of God's kindness and in the power of the Holy Spirit in new ways. Yeah. Because I think that groundedness is good and that maturity and self-control is important and there are disciplines to be practiced and yet there's something about putting up your sail and catching the wind of the Holy Spirit that happens sometimes. And I want us to avail ourselves to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is the hope of the next 25 years for me. And and I don't, I I don't want to say that I don't think the village is a spirit filled place because I know it is and I've watched it. But I want it to be, in a sense, a spirit-filled place, like a a, a place that is a, that's willing to be blown by the wind, and expect the wind to blow, you mm-hmm. know, and and to understand in a deeper way. I think that we are connected to the divine. I was listening to the sermon that that I preached on the introduction to Ephesians, and though I, it's funny when I listen to sermons, sometimes I'm like. I was explaining grace 
and I, I didn't give it the, its traditional Christian definition, not because I didn't believe it, but I, I just didn't put it in there. I put something else in there. I'm like, oh, Eric, why'd you do that? Mm-hmm. But in that sermon, I was talking a lot about, because it was chapter one, one through, I don't know, 12 or 14, but there's so much built into there about who you are and the, then the blessing that's been lavished on you and that mm-hmm. that piece of being in the throne room of God, of, of being just like, and I was reflecting in how profound Paul is in, in all of his introductions, but in that one about how he is an apostle by the will of Christ um, and that through God, the Father. Like there's this this divine uh peace to his heralding of who uh Jesus is and it comes from the human king Jesus you know like mm-hmm. it's just this powerful thing and you think wait a minute well that's me too mm-hmm. like yeah I'm not the apostle Paul but I'm Eric the child of the king the royal priest like I am also of the king with a divine message with access to the thing to like what I like talking about the jewels of the kingdom of grace, mm-hmm. you know, and peace, grace and peace, the unmavered, un, uh, uh, unmerited favor. Yes. But it's also grace is simply where we get charm and joy and laughter and, and like, that's what grace is. And so there's this, you bring me the, the charm and joy of God himself and the peace of God himself to wherever you go. That's, if you think for a minute, it's pretty powerful. And I hope that's what the village is about as we move forward is this, where people are like, oh my gosh, the joy of God is there mm-hmm. and it's infectious. And the peace of Christ, it, I can, I can, in a sense, sink into the couch and know I'm okay. And yeah. it's going to be all right, even if I have to face the hardest trials. Uh, I think that's that's what I hope for when I think about your lightness thought of the village. Mm-hmm. I also think that I, I'm excited, I hope in the next 20 years, that people step in more and more into the gifting that God has given them, that they have a confidence, because they're highly equipped. Yeah. There are many, many villagers, well, all villagers, but there's people who've been here a while, they're equipped. They have so much to offer, both the village and the world, and um, and into drawing people into the kingdom. And I hope they, they do that with a courage and an abandon and that they are willing to take some, some risks, you know? Yeah. Because we want to see the city of Tucson healed one person at a time. Yeah. There's still a lot of people. There is. Right. And yeah, we want, we want people to know the spirit and the power of the spirit we want them to know Jesus. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm excited about the next 25 years. I'm excited about what God's going to do. It's a little scary sometimes to think about taking risks, you mm-hmm. know, because we tend to be people who want to be safe. You know, the more comfortable we get, the more we understand the risk. Um, Emily McConnell is telling me she's reading this book on people and disaster. Mm-hmm. And when disaster hits a place like Ida or whatever, mm-hmm. um, people are stripped of everything. And so all they have is each other. Yeah. And I think in some ways Jesus is the storm <laughs> mm-hmm. that we have to submit to, to be stripped of everything so that we're we're willing to be with one another and, and to step into the mission. Of have God. nothing left to lose. <laughs> yeah. To have nothing left to lose. Yeah. 
Yeah, they have nothing to protect ourselves from. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think I also hope to see us as a community become more gospel fluent as well in terms of being biblically grounded mm-hmm. in knowing and just being in scripture a lot, like for us to feed ourselves so that we can nourish each other mm. and understand what the will of God is yeah. to be just really familiar to just be in scripture and be also really acquainted with the stories of the gospels yeah. of uh, what Jesus did what he said and what he is doing and saying by the spirit through those things now. Yeah. And not just the new Testament, the, not just the gospel pieces, but the different truths of the new Testament and even stories of the old Testament where the gospel glimmers through yeah. of this is who God is. And this is what God is saying to you. Yeah. And I really hope that, uh, I think in the next 25 years, I hope that we are a people who are able to hold the things that aren't about our salvation and about our calling in this world, um, like our politics and mm-hmm. our, you know, different ways of reading particular texts, um, that that's not what we focus on, but what we focus on is seeing people meet Jesus mm-hmm. and understand that Jesus can take care of a lot of those things. Yeah. And that he'll take care of them in us. And I, I really like that, you know, analogy of like, well, what is Jesus doing and saying? And where is he going? And being a church that's always not asking where the village is going and what the village is doing. Mm-hmm. But what is Jesus doing? And the village just does that. Yeah. I, that, I think that's more where I want my own mindset to shift to and also our community. Mm-hmm. So they're not thinking, you know, what's the Sieben family doing? It's what's Jesus doing. The Sieben family just does what Jesus does. And I think that's a, a better way of thinking about life and, and following Jesus because you don't get in the way as much. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited about the next 25 years. I'm really excited. Next 20 years, I guess. So, yeah. I don't Me too. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. I'm excited. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to Sue and I chat about the village. And hopefully it creates some questions for you or just gets you excited about what God's doing. You've been listening to Healing the City podcast with Susan Seepin and Eric Seepin. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.